Welcome back, folks, to uh, part two of our interview and, and conversation, probably is a better way of describing it, with Paul Wetham. Um, if, you're, if you've missed uh, the first episode or the first part of this uh, conversation, then uh, Google Paul Wetham or go and listen to that last episode. Um, and Paul had gotten to the point in his story where he'd gone to the Labrie community, which is a cheesemaking factory, <laughs> something in Switzerland, um, uh, and was sharing about the dynamic of uh, community and mm. and form. Oh, I'm, I'm calling it formation. Yeah, that's, sure, uh, that's a bit sure, of a Lutheran word. Sure. Um, and and I'd be interested to see what what, what kind of happened out of that as you oh. underst- understood your faith in the process of oh. looking deeper and yeah, well, asking questions. I, I just wanted more. So when I came back and was studying, so studying psychology and welfare and decided to um, live in a community 24-7. Um, so this is at St Kilda Baptist Church, Okay. Tim Costello. Well, what years are we talking about? Uh, we're talking late 80s now. Okay. Yeah. And um, this was a time when uh, deinstitutionalisation of psychiatric institutions occurred. So what that meant was... Um, there's a guy called Goffman who blew open the problem with institutions. It's a good parallel story to churches, actually. Okay. Um, basically, he did a lot of research and observations in psychiatric institutions in particular and found out that when people entered these places, they, of- they, they often stayed too long yes. or were never released at all, took on far more medication than they were supposed to. Yes. And so his whole thesis was, if we're about integration into society, why do we adapt people to artificial environments wow. which complicate our uh, integration? Wow. So let's put them in the community, which is a great idea, yeah. but no money followed that. And who wants to do that? Exactly. Now, yeah. that's a good question. Who wants to do it? Well, just to say St Kilda was the hothouse or the, the community for these people because... St Kilda's in Port Phillip Bay, um, all the merchant bankers used to have their big estates in St Kilda. So after the war, World War II, there were lots of prostitutes went in there and really was a very seedy area. Right. Um, it's now been cleaned up. But in the 80s, it was like a perfect place. Let's just chuck 30 people together um, and... Anyone can look after them. The the sole criteria to look after... And this is no kidding. I used to live in one of the houses for a few years. 30 people. The one guy... One, one, a ratio of 30 to 1 with major psychiatric illness. So their job was to dish out the meds, do the washing, cooking, cleaning. It is nuts. They were were sons. They were my role models, actually. Uh, But... Just to say that the only criteria you needed to run one of these houses was not have a criminal record. That sole criteria. <laughs> and so social workers, the only really? way they could deal with the abuse was to black ban referrals to some of these places that went south. Thankfully, I was part of a good network. But yeah, it was... Even, it was, even a good network would have been a challenge. Absolutely. Deeply. Absolutely. In fact, the place I used to live at, and I might talk about it a bit later, but... Now I think the ratio is, you know, like 50-50, you know, yeah. the staff, whatever. Anyway, yeah. so these guys were saints. There's, there's no doubt about that. So a lot of these people used to go to St Kilda Baptist Church. So I'm thinking, yeah, I, I love the poor. Yep, I love faith, saving the lost, equipping the saints. I'm here. Okay. Right, I'm in. Let's go. So we were part of a, a, a youth home yeah. at that point. Um, and Tim Costello had his ministry. And it was really, yeah, it was, it was all... 
going swimmingly well. Um, I was invited to stay in a bigger house, this house of 30 people, and I, I, I just burned out numerous times, you know. Right. So I spent about four or five years um, full-time, 24-7. Oh. Uh, and, and I just burnt out. And But God spoke to me through that you know I had all this lovely knowledge rolling around in my head and I wanted to talk about Jesus people go Paul you know this is my house you're not my you know psychologist piss off you know and I just say oh okay but I watched people burn out every single person staff members yeah staff went through through the church not one I asked in Costello this not one marriage survived these ministries they were blown apart really and I just thought this there's something wrong and when you see kids and um, go back on the streets in squats doing drugs because someone reacted badly. Yeah. And I witnessed that numerous times. I just thought this this has to stop. Yeah. It, it's wrong. You know, we, in the name of God, we're just creating more problems. So you seem to get to this point, like a, a saturation point of a, a particular perceived difficulty or problem or or whatever, and to go, okay, here's a critical moment. Here's a yeah. Here's here's a shift. And so there was there was a. There was a point for you that went okay, and then yeah. what? And then what? What did that turn into? Well, I realised. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Good point. Um, it's okay to take on a role and help people, but twenty four seven you can't do it. Oh. Okay. So no. so that didn't work. But I started to see people who were role locked. That is, um, take up a role, and I don't know. Do it. I don't know. In the name of God, they need to do it, and they need to do to other people. Um, Never heard that turn of phrase, role locked. Yeah, yeah, it's a gestalt term, um, which is a form of therapy. But yeah, people just and um, kind you know, of in this cage of that's how I that's how I roll. And I get validation through this, absolutely. Right. So, you know, Carl Jung would say the key question in life is who are you without your role? And and that yeah. and to someone who is role locked, that's like devastating. No idea. Okay, so. <laughs> So, so basically, so the, the, the point, I suppose, is I, I jumped from that household of about 15 people to this major household then. I was asked to run this house of 30 people at the ripe age of 25 or something. Yeah, yeah. That's really where I did most of my learning. But I used to dish out the medication, you know, because I'm the only staff person. And, and you qualified because you didn't commit any crimes. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> low bar, very low bar. <laughs> Um, but so yeah, I would dish out the meds, go upstairs, and and do this over and over for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And then someone said, um, Paul uh, came up to my room and said, Paul, we feel sorry for you. And so said, one of the clients, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. And I said, look, I, I'm a bit no. surprised by that. Uh, what, what what in particular? <laughs> Have you you taking your medication? <laughs> and I said, well, you sit up in your room all alone, learning your ABCs, but you're not part of this family. And so boy, they, perceived, they perceived you as being separate from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, yet right. that's what I thought. You know, we are separate as Christians, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And I thought, well, I don't know. I'm scared of this, you know, like this whole thing. I can't go down there. Yeah. I'll lose myself. Yeah. I'll be one of them. And so I thought I either leave because I've been exposed. <laughs> um, because really, if someone did an observational study, I was the crazy one. Does that kind of make sense? Because I'm, oh, I'm, I'm more isolated than most. 
Yeah. Geez. Okay, so I just... there's, there's, there's like a, a whole semester of study in psychology. Well, yeah, well, exactly right. Because I'd left my family and friends in yeah. order to put myself in this family. Now I was told I'm not part of it. You, you, you were just not the one on meds. That's all. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. So I decided to grow my beard, and let me tell you, it's very, it was very big at this stage. Wear the daggy clothes and hang out with the smoke and everything else that yeah. was around it. Yeah. Eat the stew, the whole box and dice. Okay. I was I was not going to move away from so you this. could even eat separate to them. Yeah, I, I did, absolutely. Because okay. I didn't want, it was just too it was like going from the frying pan into the fire. This yeah. was way too big for yeah. me. I yeah. didn't understand mental illness. I was still yeah. studying. It was just too much. Yeah, for sure. And then I come across um, uh, Jean Vanier's writings. You say it much better than I do. Well, I don't know. How you Jean Vanier. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's right. Um, but with his large communities, um, basically communities for people with profound disabilities. Oh, yes. Yeah. And yeah, so... Nguyen sort of... Well, yeah, yeah. Nguyen stayed with him, etc. So, yeah. yeah. And basically he said, you will burn out. This is so... Um, what's the word? Um, I was going to say catastrophic, but it's it's just so counterintuitive. You will burn out unless you go, unless you don't go far enough. You have to go into this brokenness with nothing. You have to just be totally broken to relate to these people who are broken, because that's what they'll do. You can't fix them. Like just again, this is a an era of deinstitutionalization so there's yeah. lots of learned helplessness so 30 people in the house even though there's no bars on the doors uh, on the windows and the doors aren't locked they're yeah. still not moving out they've learned to be helpless so so you know you know I have people wanting to go to the library and couldn't you know because they were just trapped and I'd be ringing the library and say look we really would value your services can you come out here and they said can your clients walk and I said, yes, but they choose not to. They're so afraid. And people just didn't get mental illness. Yeah, okay. So, so basically, um, yeah, where do we go from here? So, so after trying to go into this brokenness um, and just rely on faith and say, okay, Lord, speak to me. And I, and I would see people from psych wards come in and pick up people and take them to the hospital and so on and treat me like one of the clients and say, hello, how are you going? You know, and they're so patronising. It's, like, it's like those experiments they do where they dress people up into a body shape that doesn't give you the same sort of yeah, effect exactly. at a counter when you're buying something. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I started to see firsthand. And right. I'd say... Feel it. Yeah, and I'd say to people, you know, residents, and say, did you see how they, you know, reacted and treated me there? And say, oh, they do that with everyone, just... Just get used to it. Yeah. Have a shave or so, we'll get used to it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, I had, and I decided to get used to it, not have a shave. <laughs> but it taught me, wow, these people are showing me, inducting me. I mean, these people have got nothing. Like, yeah. I could count on one hand how many <clears throat> people would visit 30 people in a month. That, they were the loneliest of lonely people. You know, and so they just had each other. But there was a community there in brokenness and Jesus was there in brokenness. And so for me, that was amazing because, again, Kierkegaard, it's not about knowledge. Well, so you didn't get to that space by being up in your room, reading your books and doing the ABCs. Absolutely. And reading 
well, you've got to be broken or, or you've got to go far enough. Yeah, push through that. You actually felt it. Yeah, and when you've got nothing, and this is where we talk about Andrew Murray yeah. and surrender, absolute surrender. Yeah. Remember Peter, you know, yeah, I'm all good. I'm, I'm here for you, Lord. You know, Jesus said, well, you either deny me or you deny you. Which is it? You know, after yeah. three years of journeying with his Lord. Gee, that's, that, I've never really thought that through. Yeah. You, that, you know, he didn't deny himself. He denied Christ. Yeah. What... Christ is asking us to deny yourself, take up your cross. Exactly. Those who seek their life will lose it. Oh, so stop, stop press. I need to take a moment to think about that. So the so the point the point being, when we're truly broken, that's when things get interesting. Yeah. And this is where faith begins. So faith begins where human power ends. It's interesting because even before we started, we were having a coffee this morning, and we we're talking about humility and the and the place mm. where we can receive and. When we're, minis- when, we're, when we're in ministry, seems like like a funny turn of phrase too yeah, to me. Sure. You know, when we're we're, we're with people, um, we don't receive the value from someone else exactly. when we think we're bringing something of greater worth, and we miss it because it's there. Absolutely. And that requires humility. Absolutely. And so, which is which, which is inherently an understanding of who we are and our position, and that we are actually broken. Absolutely. It just takes a long time for us to realise that and and step into that life that Christ gives us. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. His ministry began at that moment. Yeah. And and we saw what happened in Acts. He was a new man. So when he relied on the, you know, faith begins where human power ends. When he surrenders absolutely, and that's... Well, that's a Murray term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things get really interesting. So the person who's come close to the closest, in my opinion, is um, Martin Buber, who's a Jewish philosopher. Yes. He talks about either you're in I-thou relationships, so you know I treat you as an equal, and we're going to find something in this encounter, like we didn't together. Struck. Yeah. So well, you know, I'm... you said, you know, do you want to structure this? And I said, no, let's see what happens. Yeah, we yeah. find something that happens. Together, rather than me telling exactly. you this is how it's going to roll. Exactly, yep. exactly. Um, but the converse of that, if I feel like I've got an upper hand, I'm here for you, let's keep it like that, Yeah. then he would call that an I-it. So you either I-thou, yeah, yeah, yeah. find something bigger, or I-it, you find something smaller. Now, here's the thing, and um, I hadn't thought about this, but this... This time led me into clergy research, looking at um, loneliness and how it's associated with sexual abuse and burnout. Yes. So that's a whole other area. Which and led you obviously to write the book. Yeah, Hard yeah, to be holy. yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, we won't go there. But the, the, this pivotal idea um, in the back of Martin Buber's book, who is also an existentialist, mm-hmm. he. Um, there's a time when, at the back of the book, there's a transcript, verbatim. So it's it's a conversation written down, word right. for word, between he and Carl Rogers. Now, Carl Rogers is like the supremo psychologist, humanist. You know, he, he was great for psychology. Not so yes. great for Christianity. Well, I don't know, a bit of both. Yeah. It taught us how to listen, which is a very important um, exercise. But what's interesting, in this rare conversation... Um, m- Carl Rogers says, I'm so glad we met. I've based everything on I, thou. We are talking about the same thing. Martin Buber said, we couldn't be further apart. How so? Because a person comes to you for help. You do not go to them for help. You are not equals, nor can be. That's exactly what he said. Wow. That was the basis 
of a PhD. I went after that. I wanted to have a look if church leaders could relate to those around them in their backyard, just like my backyard. Can you, can you just... We're going to actually sign this off here because I need to think about that. Can you just say that again, nice and, <laughs> nice and slow? Okay. That quote? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so um, we are not equals nor can be. Mm-hmm. A person comes to you for help. You don't go to them for help. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and what did I say? Something. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, so basically... Yeah, some profound resonations and reverberations from this well, basis, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, because we, we are not meant to just give. We are meant to receive. Yeah. Now, back, going back to my time living in this house, I had nothing. I thought I had to earn my way. Yeah. Sound like Protestant work ethic to yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, when you've got nothing to give, you're yeah. broken and you're receiving, you feel kind of guilty. And that's yeah. what I did initially. But then I started to say, or started to see the gospel come alive. God chooses the poorest and weakest. Yeah, yeah. And he speaks through those. So there's, there's inerrant humility in that. That's right. So yeah. as we treat people... If we treat every soul as unique and precious, with a unique story to tell, we will have this eye to our relationship. We'll find God in the midst of our conversation, and he will transform that. Now, that's faith. Faith is, you know, uh, faith begins where human power ends. So when we're broken and our power ends, that's when it gets interesting. So a lot of people pull out and say, oh, you know, I think I'm burning out, whatever. Just saying, well... You haven't gone deep enough. Cool. Well, we're going to sign this uh, episode off here and um, looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation, Paul. Thank you.